themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year in Golden State. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Small Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant, what's good? And we're not even going to give this an episode number, even though it has one. We, we, we're just going to call this uh, Welcome to the Bubble. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the Bubble. Welcome to the Bubble. Um, extended hiatus. Before we get started, um, as always, we hope each and every one of you guys are staying safe as we continue to navigate this COVID-19 pandemic situation. Um, to any of you who may have lost someone, our prayers go out to you. Any of you who may be dealing with anyone who is suffering, our prayers go out to you. As always, we want to take a quick moment out to thank all of our viewers, subscribers, and contributors. If you would like to join those, you can certainly do so by leaving us a voice note on any one of the podcast platforms where we are hosted. You can also reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook and Instagram. And just like that, we're back. Mm-hmm. Yes, back. sir. How you been, bro? How you been? How you been? Everything been good, man. Everything been good. No issues. You know, nothing to complain about. Just uh, happy to get basketball back, there, which is whew, it's like a weight lifted off my shoulders. All right. There's only so much 2K I could play, man. Only yeah. so much 2K I could play. Only so many YouTube highlights you can go through. Only so many online debates you can have. Only so many things you can do other than actually being able to consume and enjoy this game that we love so much. Um, it's been amazing. Some of my favorite YouTubers have bowed out of documenting basketball. That's how much COVID has affected them. They've outgrown their need to, you know, constantly speak on what's going on. And and it's just amazing as we transition into this era that we are in, in humanity worldwide, that I believe I said it on the podcast that basketball's return was going to be a barometer to how the world is going to begin readjusting. And it's playing out kind of close to what I thought. Basketball would set up its structure and then the other sports leagues would follow suit with their plans. And here we are. Major League Baseball has returned and they're playing in a fanless environment. So sports are going to be the barometer for how we continue to deal with COVID. And like you said, it's good to see that the NBA has structured an environment and the players have, you know, gone along with the plan to you know we'll discuss all that but you know what i'm getting at the idea that we are able to have fully functional pro level basketball with the best players in the world is definitely a much needed treat and i don't think anybody can dispute that yes super facts you ain't you ain't lying man especially especially even though this is scrimmage it's new basketball it's not it's not old clips of like early this season this is cuz what I've noticed, and we'll talk more about it, but the NBA has done a, in my opinion, 
Uh, so far, they've done a great job of making this bubble feel like a huge AAU tournament for these players, you know, and it's going to, I think, build camaraderie with the, with the players, but also get a lot of some of these, some of the players and some of the G League call-ups, you know, that are, are playing with them. Guys are trying to figure out the court looks good as a, as a person that's watching the game at home. It's not, it's, I can live with this. Like, not having the fans, to me, is not that big of a deal. It doesn't make, make or break me from watching the games. I, th- I still think I'm going to be tuned in. I mean, the court looks nice. Uh, they got, they have a lot of digital sounds, so it makes it seem like it's, you know, as live as possible. It doesn't, you know, you don't hear just a bunch of uh, squeaking on the court as we were originally thinking. Um, a lot of those sounds, you, a lot of um, this, this t- the screen going, a lot of background noise going on, a lot of background things. So it's, it's trying to make it as lively as possible, you know, given the, cir- this, the circumstances. And here's here's my quick take on what we've seen so far from the bubble environment. And I think people like you and myself were more prepared for this than maybe the average basketball viewer because of our own indoctrination into high level NBA scrimmaging. We got to see it live every day after practice when we played at John Jay, you know, they would have those you know, basically celeb pickup AAU games in in the auxiliary gym. Mm -hmm. And we would, or they would have them in the main gym and we would be essentially what these bubble crowds are. (laughs) 10 to 15 people in the stands chatting amongst ourselves while admiring high level NBA athletes go at it in, in, in an environment where not all of the hoopla is available to be consumed. I don't ever want to take away from the impact that a live audience in present in, 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 in the venue has from a basketball game. But I think people like myself and you, we're easily able to remove that element and not feel lessened by what we're watching. Because at the end of the day, I mean, an audience is an audience is an audience. Ambiance is definitely driven by a lot of things that I think a lot of fans are going to come to realize were instituted essentially by the franchises themselves, the Toronto scrimmage, they have one of the most recognizable sequences of audio that plays during their basketball games. If you don't know Raptor basketball, you do know Raptor basketball because when you hear, you know, you're watching a, a Raptor basketball game. And when you hear the accent of their announcer calling the game, you know you're watching Raptor basketball. They did the same thing for Philadelphia scrimmage, and they reintroduced their native stadium sounds. And they did the same thing for the Lakers when they introduced their stadium sounds and the broadcast team. So I think what the NBA did was they – it's almost like a cheat code because it's like, it's like they called the guys at 2K and said, what's all the stuff y'all make sure y'all put in the game to make it seem authentic? Because we're mm-hmm. gonna bring that, we're gonna bring that all to the bubble. And that's literally what they did. And then they have these jumbotrons on the side panels. Mm-hmm. that simulate fan reaction they simulate stadium sound yep. honestly honestly and i don't again i don't want to take a shot at the fans but as a basketball purist this is almost this is almost like instead of getting water from the faucet getting water from the spring you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah no, it's going to allow i think it's going to allow a lot of players to actually play better because there's going to be an element that I think, again, we also forget the factor in the impact that an external audience can have on player performance. 
mm-hmm. that crowd going crazy that on both sides in a road yeah. game when you've got that hostile crowd you know and that fan saying random things to you you know that distraction isn't going to be there it's you yourself and i and and everybody else on the court in in that environment it does kind of take that element out of it to some extent yeah and that that's going to probably suck because some guys some guys play better when they got somebody to talk trash to because I'm not getting it on the court, but I, those people in the crowd, you know, I, I get that. And some players it does, it does take away the Reggie Miller versus Spike Lee element mm-hmm. that, you know, that combative, like I'm here to take your team's soul and I'm going to make you suffer. That element is kind of removed from it. But at the end of the day, I mean, again, when you have to weigh the, the pros and cons, I'll take that loss. I'll take that loss a hundred times for the sake of one safety and two, again, getting to be able to see the finality of a season that was really playing out pretty well. Let, let's not forget that this season, in spite of obviously what was happening with certain franchises that we'll touch on in a moment, there were a lot of entertaining subplots going on that we're going to begin to unravel as we start to explore this restart of the bubble. Um, I know this is probably going to be a little herky-jerky. You know, we're probably going to get real Rucker Park with with how we just start spitting our subjects. But let's just talk about the the let's get the let's get the devil in the room out of the way now. So before, <laughs> so before we even began, and I want to apologize to the fans because this is not C Grant's doing. This is mine. I've kind of been stalling on coming back to to the clutch, but now that I'm back, I think that today is the perfect day considering we got stalled out two days in a row because this morning with the screenshot that I shared you, go ahead, tell the fans, tell the fans, see Grant, tell the fans. Breaking, breaking news for the people that are just tuning in. The Knicks are finalizing a five-year deal for Tom Thibodeau to be the coach of the New York Knicks. Uh, a five-year deal in terms of not been disclosed. Uh, and again, this is according to Wojnowski from ESPN. And you know who no, is ninety nine point nine seven 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 nine percent accurate on what he reports. So exactly. And we're we're going to take his word for it that Tom exactly. Thibodeau will be. C. Grant, you're the Knicks fan. You're, you're the Knicks lifeblood. Tell me how you feel. Uh, no, give me five thoughts. Give me five thoughts. Okay. Give me... Uh, thought one: He's a name. He's a name that a recognizable name. He's a he's a NBA lifer. He is a person that's going to emphasize defense and playing hard, but he's also a coach who I think in today's NBA does his system doesn't mesh well. And all the last thing, which is everybody's probably some most people's number one, is he's gonna run a yacht of these young players into the ground. Because on average, and I was just looking at the stats. I knew you would. That's why I'm just – it feels good to not always be the point guard. Go ahead, C. Grant. Go ahead. Talk to like, the people. Yeah, the, um, we were talking about this before, but D. Rose, Derek Rose, for example, on average in the years playing for Tom Thibodeau, and I'll just do his all-star right before he tore his ACL years, right? Just the three years he was an all-star from 2009 to 2012. Derrick Rose, on average, is about 37 minutes a game. Now, that's insane. Now, granted, Derrick Rose was putting the work in. He was, 
He was uh he was a three time All Star during those. He was an All Star every year, Rookie of the Year. Um, but it wasn't. It's not what they needed. And then also from that same standpoint, his teammate Luol Deng from that 2009 to 2012 season, he was leading the NBA in minutes. He was averaging 39 minutes a game in those three years. Which Joaquin, go ahead. Talk about Joaquin. Talk about oh, Joaquin. Yeah, oh, don't, yeah. don't, 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 don't spare him. Don't, don't spare him. Joaquin was doing the same. And I'm just doing that short sample size, you know, um, during the tenant. I was going to look up more of the time from then. He was the actual coach. But just to give people – now, Joaquin was the only one – see, Joaquin is a little odd because he missed a lot of games to injuries. He had a little knick-knack injuries. But mm-hmm. a guy like Joaquin Noah, he was averaging about 31 minutes a game. You know, uh, but if you want to go to the two years he was an all-star – which is 2012-2013 season, 2013-2014 season, six minutes a game. So um, this Tom Thibodeau move, again, it's it's good for the name, but it's not, in my opinion, I'm just cautious. Again, All right. so, cautious. So let's, let's look at it from a political standpoint of what we've watched the Knicks do since this season began and where we are now. They demoted the front office. They brought in uh, who was it they brought in for the GM, the new GM? He's a former Leon, Leon agent. Rose. So Leon Rose is oh, now wait, the point. Oh, okay, wait, quick thing, quick thing about Tom Thibodeau. He was the Bulls coach from 2010 season. He so he came in 2010. So when I was reading 2009, 2010 season, he wasn't the coach. But yeah, two, that was Del Negro. Del Negro, yes. He came in in 2010, 2011, and he was a coach of the Bulls all up until 2015 season. So. About a good five years. So, um, and on average, his teams were winning. So, you know. Oh, yeah. About... I'm, I'm so, going to get back. No, 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 no. Do your thing. Continue what you're saying. But, but, but I'm just letting you know, I'm going to smoke Tom Thibodeau's boots on this oh, podcast. No, 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 no. Trust, trust me. I, I, totally, I totally get that. Uh, the thing about what most people understand about Tom Thibodeau was he really wasn't a big time person that played his bench. So the problem is when you have, yes, you have a Derrick Rose who's phenomenal putting an extending stat and a, and an ungodly amount of work he put in. Um, but you need a, you need your players. I'm doing Tom Thibodeau's first season, right? Because uh, he had Carlos Boozer, right? Mm-hmm. The, the starting, well, I'll do Lou Aldang, Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, Carlos Boozer. That's four of the starting five, right? Mm-hmm. They they all all of them played on average thirty two minutes or more a game. Lou Aldang was thirty nine, Derrick Rose was thirty seven. So and they averaged. So they averaged essentially three quarters of a full forty eight minute basketball game, essentially. Yeah. So <laughs> by average, his starters got a quarter's worth of rest per game. Now, the average full-time NBA starter is somewhere between 28.7 to 32, 33 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. Fair? Fair? Fair. Okay. Before I begin to decimate this, this decision, let's go back to the political. So Leon Rose is now the GM. Worldwide mm-hmm. West is the advisor of some sort. Yep. And 
we've swapped out our boy, you know, with the finest wife and NBA coach in Fitz for Tom Thibodeau. Tom mm-hmm. Thibodeau. Let's go back and examine the history of one Tom Thibodeau, who was, again, an NBA lifer, who the quality and pedigree of what he brings to the table as far as a coach, as far as defense, as far as instilling hard work and a lot of other um, intangibles that players do need to be successful in the NBA. None of those things can be taken away from Tom Thibodeau lifer begins as an architect of ironically your New York Knicks. He was an assistant coach under, I believe, I don't know if he goes back to the Pat Riley Knicks, but he definitely was a part of anything Jeff Van Gundy did as a head coach in the NBA. Yeah. He was Van Gundy's assistant. So he was Van Gundy's top lead assistant in in New York, when New York was basically trying to, you know, get out of the shiny suit era that that Pat Riley left behind, where everything was flashy on the outside, but it was all hard work, blood, sweat, and tears on the court. And, you know, Van Gundy kind of did what I think is a very admirable job of keeping that level of the identity true to what the Knicks were doing during his time. He leaves New York. He goes to Houston. He takes Tom Thibodeau with him. Those Houston teams had Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady, uh, eventually Ron Artest, Shane Battier, and Tom Thibodeau was the head defensive assistant. There is where he installed what became known as the strong side defense, where you overload the strong side of the team's best isolation player to negate their ability to, one, be able to take their defender and get a clear path to the basket off of one move, and two, you clog the first help pass available away so that they have to make a very difficult pass to undo the overloading of that side of the court. It was a very effective defensive tactic because in that time, NBA offenses weren't really all that creative. They had first and secondary actions, but not a lot of the stuff that we see going on with what I'll call the European influence of, you know, the weak side movement creating, you know, like secondary picks and pin downs and all these things that basically expose a defense that's playing too hard on one side of the court. Tom Thibodeau essentially shifted the paradigm of NBA defense. He takes that strong side defensive mentality and he installs it with the Boston Celtics as an assistant coach for Doc Rivers. That leads to them winning an NBA championship and basically being a title contender for the entire time that he was assistant coach on that team. As that team started to wilt away, I think that's when he finally got his shot to step away from being an assistant coach and became the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Now. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that he was in Boston, right? Yes. Gotcha. 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 So, and I think Boston was his last assistant coaching stop before he Mm -hmm. got the the shot in Chicago. Yeah. Now, I will never take away from anybody who's a defensive genius because in the NBA to have any type of defensive principles that allow you to consistently stop this level of talent, you, you, it's irrefutable. You can't, you can't detract away from being able to put people in the right position to be able to stop these phenomenal talents that, that we watch every day and admire. Tom Thibodeau deserves nothing but credit for that. Will not take anything away from it. Like you touched on, as we begin to go down the hill, I'm going to go through a list of players who have suffered significant injury under his stewardship. Let's start with the youngest MVP ever. Derrick Rose. Then we'll go to a former defensive first teamer. Was he also, did he also win defensive player of the year? Did Joe Kim win defensive player of the year? 
Yeah, Joe Kim was a two-time defensive player. Wait, wait, one or two? Uh, yeah, he was defensive player of the year, um, the uh, 2013-2014 season. And he was uh, three-time All-Defense during on the Thibodeau. Okay, um, Luau Dang, arguably the most versatile frontcourt defender of that era, able to switch on to anyone down from one to four and randomly maybe even a five, even though he probably never had to do it in Chicago. Luau Dang could cover any anywhere on the court. The guy was 6'8 with a seven-foot-plus wingspan and can move all over the place. I've always been a fan of him since he was a Duke, and you know I'm a Duke University supporter. That's three guys. Um, though, and we're just going to name guys with names. No, Jimmy um, Butler. Jimmy Butler, I don't know if I can give uh, – yeah, he dogged Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy Butler is one of those players that, like, uh, I'm hard-pressed to put something that happened to Jimmy Butler on the coach. Oh, you're talking, Jimmy... oh, talking about injury. Yes, yes, I'm yeah. sorry. My bad, my bad. So go ahead with that. Go ahead. So just on the Chicago Bulls alone, we've just named their core, having all suffered major debilitating injuries that we have seen took either extended time to come back from or they never returned to the form that they were before. Joakim Noah is a ghost in the shell. Luau Deng. Uh, I don't even know if he's uh, he probably out of the league or was on a team that's not going to be in a bubble. Um, Derek Rose, as we know, is in Detroit, and he's had a major resurgence. So it's great that he was able to bounce back. But he goes to Minnesota, Tom Thibodeau, mm-hmm. and somehow Zach Levine's ACL detonates. Oh, Zach Levine, yeah. And to make the matter worse, he trades him so they can get who? This guy, Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler comes to Minnesota. Jimmy Butler has knick-knack injuries while playing for Tom Thibodeau. So does Carl Anthony Towns. Look, the writing's on the wall with this guy and what he brings to the table. This illusion that he makes teams better defensively has to end today. Because if you go and chart the Minnesota Timberwolves quote-unquote improvement on team defense during his coaching tenure, it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. They improved offensively, and that's what got them that eighth seed or seventh seed or whatever it was they got where mm-hmm. they walked into that first-round matchup with Houston. Yeah. And Houston just decided, you know what? We're going to guard everybody not named <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns with nobody, and we're going to guard Carl Anthony Towns and see what y'all do. And essentially, they got walked out of the playoffs. Yeah. So – Tom Thibodeau has shortcomings offensively. Ironically, a lot of what he ran offensively is triangle principle. So the New York Knicks and their their, their, their random connection to the triangle offense is just going to be never-ending because I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. there are going to be some triangle principles that he's going to install. He's probably going to have a set where, you know, our boy um, lefty, Randall, comes to the top elbow catches the ball with his back to the basket and, you know, a cutter goes around him and then he gets to turn and pivot and make a move. That's a staple of the triangle offense with a weak side cutter flashing to the opposite side for a three. That's definitely going to be a part of his offense. But getting off of the X and O's and just back to the whole, the the man, the myth, the legend. um, There's no, there's no real tangible data in his most recent stops that that indicates that he improves players. Part of the reason why we hate Andrew Wiggins so much, not we, but, you know, part of the reason why Andrew Wiggins is hated so much (laughs) is because of what he did not become while being coached by Tom Thibodeau. Part of the reason why Carl Anthony Towns is considered so soft 
is because everybody said, oh, you got Thibodeau as your coach, so now you're going to be blocking every shot that comes your way. That never happened either. So, mm-hmm. this, so this idea of him actually turning teams around really has to be tempered. It really does. Because at the end of the day, he's a good coach. He's a baseline coach. I would say overall, if I had to give him a rating system, 1 through 30, as far as, you know, where you would put him in coaches, he, he falls in the 15s, you know, in that range. He's mid-tier. He's not going to allow his team to be so – well, he did. But for the most part, his history doesn't suggest that he's going to allow a team to be really bad and have really bad efforts and show, t- and show signs of, of a team coming unglued. Jimmy Butler kind of has to get all the credit for, for what happened at the tail end of, uh, of what happened in Minnesota. I don't know if anybody could have managed that situation and, and got out scot-free. So the fact that it happened with Tom Thibodeau as a coach, I just think that's an unfortunate coincidence, but I don't want to put that on him. I think mm-hmm. that if you go to a situation where your team's best player is basically saying, I don't like you or the city. I don't want to be here. Y'all got to trade me and I'll play when I want to play. I don't know if there's any coach in the NBA who would have been able to handle that and, and, like I said, come out scot-free. So, again, I've never put that on Thibodeau. I just felt like that was a situation where he was in a rock and a hard place. He was kind of like a, a lame duck. So, I just don't know what happens in New York with him as the coach besides them possibly becoming a really hardworking team on defense. I mean, he's going to run those young players. The Knicks have a lot of young players. And let's be honest, when when Thibodeau first started, he won coach of the year. They won 62 and 20. So he came out the gates like a bat out of hell, you know, when it came to coaching. I mean, he had that 62 and 20 season and tell us, tell us what their their offensive and defensive ratings were. Because they had to be top 10 defensive Uh, rating to win 62 games. Yeah, they were actually number two. Uh, offensively, they was twentieth. Um, and and, and when you take and when you take two and twenty, add them together, you get twenty-two. You divide them by two, and you get an average, and that's eleven. So that makes them just underneath the top ten teams in the NBA combined, offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was saying that's 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 that disparity that you get if you give him a staff, a, a roster of guys who can play elite level defense they're going to suffer on the opposite side of the court. Mm -hmm. And again, NBA champions, top five offense, top five defense. You're a finals contender. Just off statistics alone and just off of the math proven that the last few title contenders have been in that range. So I think that the Knicks, if they want to make this situation work, one, they have to have a staff in place when it comes to medical that they can have some temperament on on the usage level of their young players Mm -hmm. because statistics show that if you burn a young player early with a major injury their career arc changes and it never recovers facts and i and we can point to so many guys removing Derek Brooks. Mm -hmm. look at what happened to iman shumpert iman shumpert was on the verge of becoming an all defensive player and Derrick Rose goes down, and I think, like, or did he go down before Derrick Rose? They went down the same season. Because I remember two Adidas guys' legs crumbling. And it was him, and then it was, and then it was Iman. Either way, point is, there's a lot of players like that who, when they suffer an injury like that, they're able to come back and still be a contributing NBA player, but they're not ever able to get to that. Wesley Matthews, mm-hmm. another example. 
and 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 there's more and more guys that you can point to like that. Brandon Knight. There's a lot of guys who take on an injury young, and because it affects the things that they were naturally good at doing, there's no real supplement to it. And with these young guys that the Knicks have, especially a guy like R.J. Barrett, who's a kind of like, he's a toolkit. You can put him anywhere on the floor because of his versatility. You can make him guard just about anybody one through three because of his versatility, even some small ball fours because he's six seven with a decent wingspan. I, I, I fear for him, man. I fear for R.J., man. I fear for R.J. I mean, I don't know what the Knicks did in allowing Alonzo Trier to walk. I, I, we went over this. Mm-hmm. The guys that they need to keep versus the guys that they can let go and why. Um, obviously, they've got a lot of work to do in the offseason. And, and, and they out. also have to figure out who they're going to draft, too, because that's going to be, be a big play as well And what's going to happen in New York. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody – I think the consensus is LaMelo, you know, because, again, the Knicks need a point guard um, and they can get a young point guard. But how does that work? If you can't get LaMelo, what's plan B? Because who's next up to uh, possibly be your lead guard? Because I think that's the Knicks, the Knicks problem. Who's the last point guard they drafted, you know, that was a quality, very serviceable point guard that lasted multiple years i think i think i think you still abhor to that um or you still support that um idea that a point guard is instrumental in in overall nba success oh, I, I can't yeah, yeah. I, can, I, I, can, I can't be mad at you for that because I can't be mad at you for that. I just I don't even know. I, I, I don't even know if I have a reason because I mean I could I could point counterpoint you to death on it, and we, we'll wind up at a draw. So let's do it real quick. I could say what about what happened with the Miami Heat? You could say shut up. Tony Parker sent them home. I could say what and happened? Just that you had LeBron. LeBron wasn't playing point guard. You see what you're doing now? Now, now you shifting players to positions that's non-existent. But what I'm saying is. That was their lead player when, when it comes to facilitating. It wasn't Okay, Mario but he didn't Chalmers. play the position of point guard, which is why I'm harping on you saying the Knicks need a point guard. If you okay, said they uh, need a playmaker, I, I could never argue with that. They need a dynamic playmaker. Yes. Because well, I'll tell you this right I now. I think in this draft, okay, okay, let, me, it, it let me give is, you this perspective. Right, let me right. give you this perspective. If the Knicks have the opportunity, and this is not realistic, so this is just a pure hypothetical, but this is just okay, to give you perspective. Okay. If the Knicks had an opportunity to trade the draft rights to LaMelo Ball for Ben Simmons, do you make that trade? Yeah. You take Ben Simmons, right? I'll take Ben Simmons. All right. So, again, that, 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 that kind of resonates. Okay, again, let me give you another example. Now, obviously, this one is a no-brainer. The Knicks have an opportunity to draft LaMelo Ball or trade his rights for Giannis. You make that trade. Oh, absolutely. Um, who else is a dynamic playmaker who does not play? The Knicks have an opportunity to draft LaMelo Ball or take Nikola Jokic. I think, well, I, oof. Not that you go with LaMelo. I mean, it's going to be, that's tough though. Because I, I like, I like the Joker, but with the person, Knicks personnel, I think they'll start young. Joker's already two seasons. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't last to his contract. He'd one out. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. So when we get to that that secondary tier, and I don't think Jokic is secondary tier. He's first tier when it comes to NBA playmaking. He just happens to not play the point guard position. Well, so you got you got okay. So if we go over the, they're not technically a point guard, but they're the best playmaker on the roster. Oh yeah, yeah, got list. You. you got you got, and I'm not rating them in number order. I'm rating them just by names. Yeah, you yeah. got Jokic. You got uh-huh. LeBron. You got yeah. Simmons. You got mm-hmm. Giannis. And who else? We need a fifth guy. Yes, uh, CP3. CP3 is a point guard. A oh, non-point oh, no, guard. My bad, my bad, my bad. No, non-point um, guard, but the best facilitator on their team. Because there uh, are quite a few teams who do it without necessarily making the point guard the central orchestrator. Um, is there another elite team out there that, that does it that way? I can't uh, say Toronto is, because Kyle Lowry's yeah, assist numbers are spiking. Um, Maybe that's it. Maybe 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 those are the four that we I just mean, need well, to focus on. I mean, I mean, well, I wouldn't say James Harden because I don't consider it elite level. Uh, and... well, James Harden is 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 top ten in assists. So there you have it. Yeah, there you have. That's it. So you have five guys who don't naturally line up in the starting lineup as the point guard, but are probably the best source of facilitating the team's offense. The Knicks undeniably need a player of that caliber in the draft. There really is only one guy like you pointed to, and that's Lamelo. Hypothetically, yeah, based yeah. off of what we've seen and what they projected and what they've shown of Lamelo, his ability to playmake is on par with what the Knicks would need. Somebody who is is unselfish enough but has the gravity to make other players play easier to to to, to be successful. Absolutely, so, make the game easier. So yep. I, I'm not debating that. The guys that the Knicks have, players that I've defended multiple times. They don't have that factor yet. Mm-mm. They haven't demonstrated it, so I can't sit up there and argue for them. Again, I'm a Frankie fan. I think that Frankie is going to develop into a fine pro. Will he ever be on par of being an elite-level starting point guard? Probably not. Dennis Smith Jr., he's a six-man. I've said it, and I'm not going to stop saying it. Because if, if he ever figures out how to be a microwave, then people like Austin Rivers will mm-hmm. be forgotten so fast. Anyway. So, I, again, I, I think... Huh? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm listening. That's gonna be. That, I don't think that's worthy enough of a, a back and forth about that. But go ahead, good. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, listen. So I'm. We're gonna park, <laughs> no, go ahead, we're, go ahead. We're, we're gonna park Nick's talk for now, and mm-hmm. we're gonna jump into some bubble reflections. So Bobo and his debut, which you alerted me to, mm-hmm. but I told you I've been a Bobo fan before he even played an NBA game. I just yeah, never decided to speak about him on the podcast, but he opens up his first NBA scrimmage with a 16, 10, and 6. Yes, sir. R.I.P. Manubo. Yeah, and that's his, his Manubo, former NBA player. Um, his father. His father. Um, Manu came in at 7'7, seven, seven, and Bobo is 7'2. Seven, uh, two. Seven, two. Yep, 7'2. Bobo, now that's also coming out of high school, a lot of people. Felt like Bobo was going to be a top five, at worst, top ten NBA talent after he came out. If he would have came out his freshman year, and now while he was in college at the University of Oregon, um, he was putting in work. He, he got, got hurt. hurt. He got hurt. He hurt his foot. Um, and when you're over seven feet tall and you hurt your foot, you immediately platoon your draft stop. And yes. as people aren't aware of why seven footers with foot problems eventually get 
flag, let's go through some history. Um, Arvita Sabonis. Um, uh, Zadrunas Adalskis yes. is oh, probably man. the biggest testament to what can happen or go wrong. Yao Ming had to Yao retire Ming. early mm-hmm. because of the foot problems. Yeah. Same thing happened to Murasan. Same thing yep. happened to Bradley. When these guys with that much height and weight are expected to do high-intensity actions in their feet, it happened to Rick Smith, too. Honestly, I don't know if there's a guy above that seven-foot-two range that when they started having foot problems, things didn't go left for them. Some no, of them were able, to, some were able to, you know, kind of buoy the water and, and, and stay afloat and still continue to have NBA careers. But that level of dominance and above-the-pack element brought them down really quick. Like, I mean, honestly, people don't know how much Ilgowskis went through to get back. Mm-hmm. That man had, like, a cybernetic foot, essentially. So by the time, you know, LeBron got him close to that ring, did he wind up getting the ring in Miami? Because I don't think he wound up getting the ring as a Cavalier. He definitely didn't get it as a Cavalier, but I think he got a Miami ring, like a humble mm-hmm. ring or something like that. But point yeah. is, it essentially eliminated his prime era for him to be dominant. So a guy like Bobo goes to the University of Oregon and he's out there shooting moonball threes, crossing people over. Everything 20, 21 and 10 in college. He nearly played nine games though. And he had a he had a Kyrie level season, you know? But he just couldn't come back. Um Denver and, has Denver I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, what I was gonna say is he was projected as one of those, like I said, pop, probably top 10. He was actually invited, which mm-hmm. normally is the top 14 players projected in the draft. Unfortunately for him, he got drafted second round number 44. I so, think it was fortunate for him. Um, oh, absolutely. No, no, yes. We'll, now, we'll now explore, looking back at it, yeah. We'll, we'll explore how Denver's, Denver's um, forecasting and draft, and, and, and draft process may wind up escalating the successor to Masai Ujiri to um, probably being, and we, I said his name, I think he's, he's a European guy, but um, that guy and what he's done in the wake of Masai leaving, the, the, the crop of talent that he's put together, it, it's, it's possibly on par rivaling what Sam Presti did in Oklahoma City. Let's look at it. You got MPJ who, upon playing when the season resumed, when he finally got to get on the court, he was a headache. Mm -hmm. He's just now starting to get playing time. They have Millsap locked up, I think, for like another year. Yeah, this is is last year, the contract. So you've already started to groom the playing time availability. You got Plumlee at backup center, and obviously he's a utility guy who you can unload at the moment that you need to. So there's Bobo's minutes. Mm-hmm. You've already locked up Jamal Murray. I mm-hmm. think Joker is about to get his extension if he hasn't already gotten it because he's he's eligible for one of those like top five extensions. Uh-huh. Uh, that's a good question. I'll I check real quick. Mm. But if you look at their projection... No, he already he signed his contract back, his extension back in 2018. So he's actually currently the season of that max deal that he signed back in 2018. So you got Bobo on a second round second round draft pick contract which uh-huh. means that you could lock him up I think for longer yeah for less you money. can't a first round pick for less money over the term 
but a longer term. Yes. So I think a rookie is eligible for like the three-year deal. And then the second year, you're, you have that forcible extension or player option thing going mm. for you. Bobo's situation is easier to navigate. You got MPJ, who was a first-round pick. I think they drafted him, what, ninth? Or something no, like no, that, no. even My, with him being uh, hurt? Michael Porter Jr., I thought he was drafted like, like I want to say he drafted 15. But was he drafted in the teens? Uh, I think they drafted him ninth. I think he was still lottery, even though he was hurt. Hmm. 14th. Yeah, he was 14th. Drafted by okay. the Denver So, yeah, just outside. So, right outside of the lottery. So, you've got those slots. You've got those players. You've got the, the malleability. In a year's time, we could be looking at Jamal Murray at the one. Was it Greg Harris? What's his name? Yeah. Greg Harris at the two. Gary Harris. Gary Harris at the two. Bobo mm-hmm. at the four. Jokic at the five, and MPJ at the three. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? Yeah, they're serious right there. And then, and the thing about Denver, they always got, and like again, that's they always got these role players that play their role, but they play with an extreme amount of aggression and they play very hard. And we're not even we're not even touching on the seventy five thousand wings that they've been having tryouts for. For the past couple of years, they, they still got yep. my man. They still got Will the Thrill over there, who yep. do anything. If you give Will Barton playing time, he will do anything you tell him. If you say, "Yo, Will, we need you to go in there and punch a ref," I'm on it, Coach. He's going in the game, and the ref is getting knocked out. That's Will Barton. And then who was it that they had? Beasley, fam. The amount of Denver wings they had, high energy. Yeah, they got rid hard. of. They got rid of Beasley. They got um. The other young dude, what's his name? Uh, they got a kid named Morris who's like a backup point yes, guard. Yes, that's what I was about to say. I was uh, Monte Morris, second year player. And then they got um, Tory Craig, who's another role <laughs> player. These are these are all role players that come in, play with high energy, and like guys that come out of nowhere, and they'll have like eight to ten points. You'd be like, oh, what? Wait, where does this dude come from? So back to back threes, get a steal, like turn the tide of a game off of energy alone. Yeah, very and, similar and, to Toronto's uh, bench. Yeah, I, again, this is why I said the the the, the GM Masai, success. But again, Masai Uje. I mean, what's his name? Masai Ujiri. Ujiri or Ujiri? I don't. I, we're gonna start Masai. calling him Mister Jewelry. But either way, but as you said earlier, Denver was that that was his child for a little bit, and now Toronto. So similar style players, you know? Yeah, except Masai kind of got, like, he's got an illegal stronghold on African talent. Somebody, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, I mean, I know basketball with Borders is a big proponent to how he was able to catch wind of, but it's really not fair how he was able to snipe Siakam. It's almost like, and I don't want to, like, allude to some sort of, like, illegal tampering, but, like, how does a guy like that wind up playing for New Mexico State, flying under the radar, and then, you know, Masai just being right there to pick him up with nobody saying, hey, uh, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, moving on to activity within the bubble. Another hot topic to discuss. Ben Simmons took two three-pointers in a game. He finally... No! Shoot on deck! <laughs> he finally took my advice. Can we rewind the tape in the podcast to where I said he needed to average what? How many? Three-point attempts per game, I said? Two. 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 Oh, shoot. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, shooter on deck. About to get it. He's about to start the three signs like it ain't nothing. 
Shoot on deck. Say hi to Views from the Clutch. Hi, Views from the Clutch. <laughs> Zion turns 10 tomorrow, everybody. Happy so, birthday. Um, Happy birthday. Yeah. Stick bots? Yeah. There you go, buddy. Stick yeah. bots. Did you hear about no, I didn't, but I'm going to look them up as soon as I'm done recording Views from the Clutch. Available on all podcasting platforms. Tell your friends, Zion. Okay. So, um, <laughs> again, Ben Simmons takes two threes in a game, makes one. Mm-hmm. Already shoot 50%. Shooter on deck. So, do you think in the bubble he'll catch JaVel McGee and Dwayne? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, man. Remember JaVel McGee. You have to calm down, right? Ja- no, well, remember, remember JaVel McGee and um, Dwight Howard. They did they did, like they, did it, they did it in the regular season also, though. So we got to keep. But then also, I was reading somewhere, and I, I, I can't find the article right now, but they said Ben Simmons was seeing like a therapist, you know, so he can get his mind right to start shooting, actually to get his confidence up to shoot the basketball. I think, again, I think, again, the whole confidence to shoot and it's, it's layered. It's layered. Can we do an overtime for this? Are, are we stuck at 60? Because we already pushed well, 45. We have 45 right now. So you can, um, depending on, yeah, keep go right now. And then you never know. Whatever you're about to say might take us to 60 and be good enough. No, I'm saying, are we ending at 60? Are we wrapping at 60? for? The yeah, I think so. Time? Because, again, we want to, Get the reps. We want to get our reps under our belt. You know what I mean? All right. All right. So we, we, we deciding this all on the fly. So I hope that the, the, the viewers who come back to us actually appreciate that, you know, what we're trying to do. And we're, we're just like the guys in the bubble. We're, we're getting our, you know, we're shaking off the rust. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to touch too much on Ben Simmons other than say um, the coverage that is dedicated to him shooting jumpers. It now is to a point where it, it it's, I realized it was bad when I when we were doing it, but like now, reading how they're talking about it after he's only made two threes, it's kind of sickening. They have an article on Brett Brown saying that oh Ben Simmons has experienced a paradigm in his thinking, and now you're talking about him seeing therapists and Lord. Listen, man. But but let's talk about Philadelphia basketball because uh-huh. Philadelphia found or used or deployed a starting lineup that did not feature Ben Simmons. At the one position, Ben Simmons played mm-hmm. the four mm-hmm. alongside Joel Embiid. I think Shake Milton yep, was the, was point the starting point guard. Absolutely, Josh Richardson at the two and Tobias Harris at the three. Absolutely. And they actually went out there and looked good. And Ben Simmons did all of his playmaking from the four position, from you know the lower elbow, the corners, and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of the things that we haven't explored, but we'll have to when we continue you know, to resume making episodes, is how many players actually benefited. We'll probably do a top five top five guys that benefited from the break. Ben Simmons is on that list because his back was imploding when, when the season stopped. Philadelphia had tried a new starting lineup. They were winning. They had moved Al Horford to the bench, and Ben Simmons' back was failing him. So this break, this hiatus, allowed him to heal up in a lot of different ways. And I think that goes back to what you were reaching to with the whole um, needing to get on a doctor's couch and speak his feelings about his fear of taking a jump shot. Doctor, it's like, it's like I see Space Jam out there when I'm at the three-point line. Mm-hmm. I feel like all my powers are gone. Man, listen, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too, because I'm a Ben Simmons fan, so I don't want to get too harsh on the kid. And I actually think that, like, 
I think that he's a wave, man. I think he's a wave. I think he is. Let me not do it. Let me not do it. I'm not gonna do it. Um, next topic. Well, who, who, go ahead. Um, let's talk about the guys who didn't come to the bubble and how it's affected, or the in and out of the bubble. So Zion Williamson is returning to the bubble after having to take care of a family matter. So he wasn't present for the first scrimmage of New Orleans's resumption. Um, Rumor is it, rumor has it that, you know, he's lost some decent amount of weight and he's actually finally in NBA regular season shape when we're about to be in the off season of what would have been a normal season. But hey, so Zion comes back and he returns to the Pelicans. So I'm looking forward to the excitement that he's going to bring to those playing games. And and again, remember how you started the, the podcast by saying the environment that these games broadcast and give you it's the AAU vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the younger guys who are veterans of this AAU circuit are going to benefit from it more than the veterans who have become used to the glamour and glitz of a regular NBA environment. So a guy like Zion Williamson, he's used to this. Mm-hmm. He's used to limited access gyms or gyms not being that big and the crowd not being that large but the stage being big because the focus is on what he's going to do. I think a guy like him is going to thrive. I think guys like Brandon Ingram, who comes from the AAU environment, he's going to thrive and so on and so on. A lot of these guys who had not yet really been exposed or super exposed to like that NBA pressure, this is going to be like going back home for them. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these guys are on teams that are in positions to make some moves. How do you feel about Milwaukee? Ooh, Milwaukee. And I brought that up because you, because um, was it you who sent me the highlight? But I know you yeah. know about the death of, the death of Giannis. But you brother. know, you know they call it. I think they call it offensive foul. So remember when Richard Jefferson? No, I, no, I, I'm just saying how on God's so? green is that? But again, yeah, psychologically the damage is already done. So listen, man, nepotism in the NBA is a dangerous thing. I forgot what other team that and, happened with. It happened with the Knicks. Remember when J.R. Smith forcibly had he extorted the Knicks into having his brother on the team? Twice. Hey, good looking out, brother. Yo, listen, family first. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is the reward that Giannis's brother got for being the MVP's little brother. Well, you know what? We can't do this to you, but your little brother gonna die today. <laughs> Last name. Mind you, they were losing by 17 when homie from San Antonio said, you know what? Your soul is mine. And here's the thing. The dunk itself wasn't really all that special. It's the fact that Giannis's brother doesn't know how to fall correctly and bumped his head on the way down. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that got overlooked. But, you know, that concussion was almost self-inflicted. But um, as far as the Milwaukee roster is concerned, it looked like everybody came back. I don't think they're short anybody, so I think uh, is that Bledsoe they... back? I don't know. That's, you know, think, Bledsoe is hard to only, notice on the court. That's the only player from Milwaukee that I did not notice. But it could and be wrong. And yeah, he's he, he's probably there, and we just didn't see him, and it's not a knock to him. It's just the way that Milwaukee plays. If if Bledsoe is, is, is a heavy factor in a Milwaukee win, we know that something has went wrong. Like, that's just the role <laughs> that he plays on their team. No, I'm saying, like, if, and Bledsoe, Bledsoe goes for 27 and 10. 
if Bledsoe went for 27 and 10, you're going to look at that stat line and you're going to see Brooke and Robin had an average game. Giannis probably didn't shoot that much. Mm-hmm, Middleton, mm-hmm. you know, had a middle of the pack game. You, you don't really need that much from him other than him to make open shots and not turn over the ball and to, you know, be a defensive presence against his opposing point guard. That, so, again, I'm not knocking Eric Bledsoe. I'm just saying if he's being noticed, that means he's going above and beyond what his role is there in Milwaukee. So that's, that's our excuse for possibly not noticing him if he was there. Um, the Clippers, they got to get it together. They got a lot of players out, man. They got, what, three players now? Uh, I think Beth stepped out for a personal matter. Yeah. Williams just stepped out. Yep, and Montrez um, is out. And there's a, a quiet friction going on with Montrez and, and um, Doc Rivers. Oh, really? Because, yeah, Doc Rivers and Montrez have been going at it ever since Montrez called out the entire franchise for the special treatment of the new guys when he did that post-game interview. Oh, I don't And he that. was like, you'll pull it up, and then next time we talk, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember. But Montrez Harrell, after a, a – I don't know if it was a win or a loss. It might have been a loss, which was not that many in the Clippers' season before it got amended. He, he vented his frustrations about there being a special treatment and the fact that they're not truly together yet as a team. And Doc Rivers basically let him know, and, you know, players, coaches, you know, in a team-only meeting environment, yo, we, we, that's not how we do things here. If you have a problem, we say it here. We don't say it to the media. And, you know, Montrez is an outspoken person, and rightfully so, because Montrez had to fight for everything he's gotten in his NBA life. Mm-hmm. He is essentially the inheritance of um, our boy Kenneth Fareed. Mm-hmm. Guys like that, these undersized fours who wind up playing the five, and, you know, we applaud their versatility and burst in athleticism that tends to evaporate you know, as they approach 30, because again, they're playing above their, their means, their short window, they, they, they want to take advantage of it. So I can understand him feeling a way about how that team goes, but with the amount of player movement that that roster has, like, I can't, I can't project them to be a serious threat yet, but maybe when the bubble games start and they have, you know, the, the, the seeding game start, maybe they get that unity but we've been talking about Clipper unity since the offseason, man. Um, mm. I don't know what Denver's going to do when it comes, when it comes time to, to the rundown, but I definitely consider them a contender. The fact that they're able to inject a seven-foot-two guy who can do what Bobo does, and even if you're only using him for 10 to 15 minutes a game, with the amount of players that they have on that team, like we haven't even jumped into the fact that they got, you know, one of the grant sons on their team. And mm-hmm. he's probably one of the best high energy three slash four guys in the league under the radar. Um, who else out West is, is really a threat. I mean, I don't want to really speak to the Lakers because the Lakers got their own situations going on. I'm really concerned. Like, I don't know how you simultaneously add Dion waiters and J.R. Smith and expect to be taken seriously. Like it, it, it that's frightening. Yeah. That's frightening. And, and and Deion Waiters didn't even wait to show his ass. Did you see him in the scrimmage? Mm-hmm. Did you see him in the scrimmage when he hit the buzzer beater? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruh, you're doing NBA 2K20 celebration animations in a scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Relax, bro. And you and, and you still chubby. How? How, bro? I don't even know if J.R. Smith was on the court. I ain't seen him. Nah, he played, he played in the second half. I saw him a couple times. He made a couple of he made a couple of decent plays, you know. He had a good- and, and shout out, and shout out to our boy LeBron James, who looks like a tank and is still traveling. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know what, what regimen LeBron James was on because, you know, there's always been this, oh, LeBron James is shedding weight as he gets older. Did he look small to you? He, he, Maybe, mm, he didn't necessarily look he, – he didn't look smaller. He looked – honestly – Maybe it's all that offensive lineman pattern he be wearing now. Maybe that's well, what no, – I, I mean, the more – honestly, he looked the same like he's in sh- – he's still in shape. Like, he's still in game shape. Now, again, yes, he – because I understand what you're saying because they showed him in an interview, I think it was post-game, where he just had the tank top on. He looked a lot slimmer than when he actually was in the game. I can definitely understand that. And again, like you said, that might be the, a lot of NBA players have the rib pad and I mean, like you said, the, the football pad. You know, um, I think I think the contenders could be. I I really think I really think um, I for some reason I feel like oh, golly, for out west I feel like Houston is if Houston is going to either get bumped out in the first round. Or they're gonna make it far in the playoffs. Like it's gonna be one or the other. You know what I mean? Like I just, I just something about it. Like I just feel like they're gonna either get bumped out in the first round, or they're gonna really explode and win. Like maybe, you know, West or they don't go to Western Conference Finals. They might push the second round to like Game Seven. You know what I mean? Or did you see? Or they're gonna get they're gonna get disgraced in the first round. Did you, Did you see how our boy um um. Luca Magic was looking out there. Luca looked like he'd been eating good Luke. and living in Miami. <laughs> but that's another team. That, see, I like Dallas as a sleeper. But shout out to shout out to um, Seth six six or six three pointers in that um, yeah and that return back. Listen, I like everything about Dallas's roster. I just felt like their chemistry was really befuddling me. The fact that it took so long for um, for Porzingis and Jokic to I mean Jokic for. Porzingis and um, Luca to get on the same page was really frustrating me, but a lot of that had to do with the fact that you know Rick Carlisle is a unique coach and he favors chemistry over over the long haul. And you know Luca was able to keep them afloat by being able to throw alley oops to Clazer and um, Dwight Powell. Mm-hmm. And now that Dwight Powell, I think, what towards Achilles, towards he's out. Yeah, he's out. That kind of like forced his hand in making the adjustment to bringing, you know, Luca and um, Porzingis to the same page. And then Luca goes down and then he really has to cater to the strengths of Porzingis and allowing him to do those mid range post-ups. And I, I think it, it's opened the door. Dallas is going to be a problem come playoff time because you're not really going to know how to guard them. You're not going to know how to guard them. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, if, if the, if the, if the uh, standards stay the way they are, that'd be Dallas and the Clippers in their first round. Yeah, that, so that could be a very interesting situation. You know, that could be a six to seven game series. Yeah. And and who could win is really a matter of who shows up hot. Yeah. Oh. Because remember, those games will all be playing in the same venue. All you're doing is changing out the sounds. Yeah. So I mean, not to say like that's something to just be easily discredited, but the home court <sighs> advantage aspect is eliminated now. It is. It is. And I think that that kind of like Obviously, this season has an asterisk to it. If you don't put an asterisk on this season and you somehow have an asterisk on the lockout seasons, then you're a weirdo. And I'm not backing off that stance. If if you have an asterisk next to any of the any of the lockout seasons and somehow this season you, you say, oh, you know, nothing special should be considered in the fact that we're in the global face of a pandemic and the players had to play in a specialized bubble. If you're not able to put a caveat on what happens in the NBA season, then please stop watching basketball. Cause this is definitely, 
basketball at a level where as fans we have to love and appreciate it but we also have to understand that these circumstances are nothing close to an environment where we can really fairly put things in perspective there's always going to be a but they were in a bubble and i can't be mad at anybody who does it and i won't be Mm -hmm. i don't know how you i don't know what your take is on it but me if people have a problem with Giannis getting a bubble ring lebron getting a bubble ring or any of the other contenders underneath them getting a bubble ring and not being able to say this is a bubble ring? Mm-mm. No, I, I don't you know, have a you... problem with it. I mean, listen, a ring is a ring, man. I, I look at it. It's tough. It ain't like, it ain't like they, they told you, oh, you know, Giannis is – we're just giving a participation trophy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're not getting it. You're still earning it. The, yeah. the same level of effort and, again, basketball is played on the court in between the lines. Nothing, none of that could be discredited. The environment does play a role in it. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? No, I totally like, agree. I totally agree. So, so I, I just want and hope and understand that like, we can all have that same accord and understanding of what we're witnessing. Yes, this is definitely a return to NBA basketball, but these, this is special circumstances NBA basketball. You know, so let's, let's just keep that in mind and try not to put too much weight on the shoulders of these guys. I think this is the ultimate opportunity for basketball fans to just truly be fans. Mm-hmm. To leave those to leave those diehard sentiments that we sometimes carry into these into these playoff matchups and you know the race for the championship. I think it's a, a good time to just park those and enjoy whatever happens with your team. Enjoy whatever happens with your team because the alternative is you could not be watching this. This yeah. could not be happening. Yeah. And none of us really want that. I read post after post after post. Oh, they should cancel the season. They should cancel the season. They should cancel the season. Then I went back, and as soon as I saw that the bubble games were playing, I went back and looked for these people to see what their comments were like. Oh, man. Oh, you're not fans. So happy. Mm-hmm. No, oh, no. They were there. They were like, oh, man, I'm so glad. I'm like, but last week you were just saying cancel the season. Now you're happy to see basketball? Like, y'all people, are, this is why players and people of fame turn on fans mm-hmm. because the consistency in y'all behavior is lacking. Right. Listen, I, we've been the same here at Views from the Clutch. We love basketball. We're going to enjoy it if the product is made available. As men, as human beings, safety is always our concern. Mm-hmm. If y'all are able to do this in a safe environment, we're going to support it. If the players feel like they are okay returning to basketball in the wake of what's happening from a social perspective, with BLM and all of the other things, if they're comfortable being on the court and they're not adamantly out there saying, I don't want to be here, but I'm only doing it like I'm just here to not get fined. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that energy. So I'm just going to take this as, yo, the game I love has been gone and now it's back and I'm going to enjoy whatever version of it I can get until we as a society can adjust to where we have to go in the future. Mm-hmm. So I hope that everybody else can take that same mentality into what we're getting from a return to basketball, from a return to sports, and just enjoy the fact that these opportunities are happening and that they do point to the opportunity for us to make a turn as a worldwide society to something close to the normalcy that we thought we had before. You understand what I'm saying? I I just hope that we can relay that sentiment to each and every one of you. Like, if you haven't learned not to take anything from granted from this, try to absorb that now. Mm-hmm. So when we return, because we're over the 60th minute, when we return back to Views from the Clutch and we're going to try to start, you know, stepping up our frequency as these scrimmages are taking place, you know, at a rapid fire rate. And then the resumption is what, the 31st? 
Uh, 30th is the games. 30th. So we'll try to get a couple more episodes in so that we can get you guys all nice and reloaded and ready to enjoy the, you know, the playing games to, I guess, on the next episode, we'll cover the Eastern Conference favorites and how teams have reported back. We also probably need to put together our own list, which will probably have some of the same players because there's only so many of them. But we'll try to cover the five guys who benefited the most from this break. Mm. And we'll probably cover five franchises who benefited the most from this break. And we'll probably cover five franchises and maybe five players. It probably may be another combination list of how the situation didn't help some guys. Yeah, yeah, I, so, I, I got you. So on that note, as always, we'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to Views from the Clutch. If you would like to provide any feedback, you can do so by leaving us a voice note on any of the podcasts and platforms where we are hosted. You can also message us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook and Instagram. We are going to be back at it. Um, hopefully we can get our, our resident trainer back on the show. So reach out to him. Mm-hmm. See if we can make that happen so we can talk about because I want him to give us a perspective on how some of these guys look physically. I think that would be dope for the cast. And I think they, our fans would appreciate having an idea because we didn't really touch on the fact that um, Nikola Jokic, what was it? He allegedly lost 50 pounds, but he looks exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that happened, but we'll get to that, y'all. On that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace.